0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Talking Sports with Evan. I'm Evan with Talison. And what a week it has been for the Wisconsin sports. There's just a lot that has gone on in a two day span. We, we've had a whole week's worth of sports news all within a span of 24 hours, starting Tuesday into Wednesday. And now we got Thursday. And we had, like I said, a week's worth of news in a 24 to 48 hour period, which it's just crazy. Kind of give a quick recap before I start the show, because it's kind of what I'm going to be spending my time with. Well, we go back to Saturday night. The Packers fell to the San Francisco 49ers once again, 24-21. It seems to be a common theme. The Packers lose to the 49ers in the playoffs. <coughs> Sorry about that. That seems to be the common theme. They lose to the 49ers in the playoffs and they go home. I am going to talk about that game a little bit, talk about the 2023 season and look ahead to 2024 a little bit and kind of break down where I, who has spent a lot of time talking Packer content, go from here now that the Packers season is over. The Milwaukee Brewers with a big free agent signing, uh They signed first baseman and left fielder, Rice Hoskins. Uh, He's coming off a 2023 season where he missed with a torn ACL in his most recent full season in the league. He had 30 home runs and 79 RBIs and and 672 plate appearances. So I'm going to talk Milwaukee Brewers. Milwaukee Bucks, Adrian Griffin. I'm not going to say shockingly because I think the writing was on the wall. I talked in my audio only version, which you can find anywhere you find your podcast on Spotify, Apple, wherever, Talking Sports with Evan, that I wasn't quite on the Fire Griffin bandwagon yet. But my I was starting to take a step in that direction based off what I have been seeing And Tuesday rolls around, Tuesday afternoon, right around 2 o'clock, the news breaks, boom, Adrian Griffin out as Milwaukee Bucks head coach. Then there was the Doc Rivers is a possibility to Doc Rivers is the head coach to no, Doc Rivers isn't the head coach to yes, Doc Rivers is the head coach to now Doc Rivers has signed a contract. So I'm going to talk about the Griffin firing and why people are overreacting to the kind of the symbolism of it. And one of the things I'm starting to see thrown around is the um, Giannis is a coach killer, which is far, 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 far from the truth. He's nowhere near being a coach killer. And I think that that's an example of people taking, you know, talking about it way too much. Other Packer news, Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator that I think majority of Packer Nation were ready to be done with, he is let go. He might still potentially stay on as a, uh, as a, a position coach or the Packers are going to look to find another role with him is what they're saying. But uh, one of my, my buddies, uh, Alex Drove, brought up in his podcast, uh, Mr. Irrelevant, part of Wisconsin On Demand, That is pretty much deja vu because they did the same thing two years ago with the special teams coach position. They relieved their special teams coordinator of his duties and then tried to find another spot for him somewhere along the way. So, as I said, we had pretty much a week's worth of sports news condensed in a 24 to 48 hour period. And uh, it's been crazy. And I think I'm going to start with, what should I start with? I want to start with Adrian Griffin. Adrian Griffin, the, the Bucks hired him for his defensive prowess. And they hired him when it was looking like it was going to be Giannis, Middleton, and Drew Holiday running the Bucks' big three. The Bucks were then able to trade for Dame Lillard. Yes, this wasn't the team that he was hired to coach, but he was the coach, and although it kind of changed what Adrian Griffin wanted to do as a coach with losing Drew Holiday, which I'm sure Drew Holiday was a huge component in what Griffin wanted to do with his defensive system, but what the best coaches do, it's not about the scheme, it's about the personnel. You find you 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 fit you work your scheme to fit with the personnel that you had, and you know Damian Lillard is not Drew Holiday when it comes to playing on-ball defense. You have to adjust your defense to fit now what you have. The cards you will doubt were changed. You got a new deck, new deck of cards, new hand. You had to change what you needed to do to make it work, and. Early on in the season, it was about trying to figure out how to make that work, and unfortunately, it wasn't working, and you saw a lot of frustration with Giannis, with Dame, with you name it, and the product on the court was not good enough, and you also saw constantly... The same. It was. It was like it was Jason Kidd all over again for the press conferences, talking about the same thing about not having enough intensity, not having enough, not playing hard enough, not being motivated enough to play. You have to play better intensity. We lacked intensity. We lacked intensity. That was the Jason Kidd press conference to a T. And I got tired of it. And Adrian Griffin was kind of the same thing. Anytime they were to lose we lacked the intensity tonight. And I think this was coming for a while because we've heard the reports that Doc Rivers was brought in to kind of be a consultant to Adrian Griffin to help Griffin with the head coaching spot, but it still wasn't working. And Tristan Thomas, he was on the show a couple weeks back where we talked about What's going on with the Bucks and can they fix it? And I'm looking for his exact quote because I do want to quote him properly. And I just thought of this now, so I apologize for looking at my phone while I'm talking to you all. But here's here's what he said. And this is when the Bucks are 25 and 12. Just because you're 25 and 12, it doesn't mean you're good. And just because you're 30 and 13 doesn't mean you're good. And the bucks are a championship team and they need a championship coach and it was clearly not Adrian Griffin is Adrian Griffin going to be able to go to a different situation where the pressure isn't on him as much as it is and be successful possibly but Milwaukee was just not a good fit for him and I've been as patient as I could be Terry Stotts leaving right before the season started with some red flags to be worried about, like, eh, it's a little concerning, but okay. Through the first month, through the first month of the season, it didn't look good. Then December came and although they weren't blowing guys out in December, they were playing better. They looked like they were playing more inspired. And then January's hit. And they've looked very last of days ago. They've looked lazy. They've looked uninterested at times. And you're not getting the effort that you expect from a team that you expect to be playing for an NBA championship. And that's part of the reason why the move had to be made. Adrian Griffin seems like a nice guy. And I'm going to bring up another thing um, that a, a friend of mine said uh, who I was talking about with the with the move. Um. So remember back in 1999, and I'm crediting uh, my my buddy Scott Irwin for this. Scott Irwin, back in 1999, Mike Holmgren leaves. He goes to Seattle. He wants to be the general manager in Seattle and take that job. So Rod Wolf hires Ray Rhodes. They went eight and eight in 1999 for a team that should have been better than eight and eight. And I know you had the Brett Favre thumb. But Scott brought up this, and I, I think it kind of fits the situation too. With, you know, He says it brings up the situation, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with him. When Ron Wolfe let go of Ray Rhodes, he said that the training camp was more like a country club atmosphere than trying to put in effective work. And they had a lot of veterans on that 99 Packer team. Ray Rhodes was supposed to come in and keep things status quo from Mike Holmgren. And it just became a country club type atmosphere. You know, the players ran the show and they let him go. Mike Sherman early on kind of had some control of the team, but when he started doing the dual role, that's when he kind of lost it. But back to how I compare it to Adrian Griffin it's kind of the same way. Cause Reports are saying, too, that the GM and the assistant GM would go to practices recently and not be kind of happy with what he was seeing, what they were seeing at practice. They weren't practicing with the urgency and the intensity that you should expect to see. And it was a move that had to be made. And it sucked because, like I said, it's, uh, Adrian Griffin seems like an outstanding guy. He does but he just wasn't the fit for the Bucs. And the Bucs should, should have gone with a veteran name, a veteran coach to begin with, rather than giving a first-time head coach who'd interviewed for 14 other jobs and been turned down for all but the Milwaukee job. He was in a little over his head. And maybe you should have got him to bring in more of a veteran presence on his bench, which, which they try to do. With Terry Stotts, but Terry Stotts, I think, saw the writing on the wall. He wasn't getting along with Griffin, so he said, peace out, and went out. It's hard because you look at the record, but as Tristan, as I mentioned, said, just because you're 30 and 13 doesn't mean you're good. And the Bucks have championship expectations. They don't expect to get to the playoffs and then fade away in the playoffs, and go home. The Bucks want another championship. Giannis wants another championship. And I know I say that, and I know your question is automatically going to be, well, if they're serious about wanting a championship, why do you bring in Doc Rivers? Well, Doc Rivers is a veteran NBA coach. He won the NBA title in 07-08, was the Eastern Conference champion in 29, uh, 2009 and 2010 and he's made the playoffs a number of times and he has coached in 215 playoff games started out pretty well in the playoffs he went 15 and 5 sorry no he went uh well he started out bad in the playoffs my apologies he went 5 and 10 in Orlando in 15 games but then in Boston he had 106 playoff games going 59 and 47 and he won the championship and he went the eastern conference finals but unfortunately after the winning the championship he's gotten the he's gotten the uh reputation of not being able to win the big one he can't win the big one that's kind of been his reputation and statistically it looks that way he has a career 111 and 104 in the playoffs winning at 51% clip. In Boston, he was twenty and fifteen, winning at a fifty-seven percent clip. Sorry, not uh, Boston. In Philadelphia, his final stop before becoming to Milwaukee, he was twenty and fifteen with a fifty-seven percent clip. The issue in Philadelphia, he could never make it past the second round. But beneath the surface, when he when he peel back that onion a little bit, you look at what he was dealing with in Philadelphia. He had an often-injured Joel Embiid. He had a James Harden that really didn't care. Um, He... Harden almost ate himself out of the league a couple of occasions, coming into the camp extremely out of shape numerous times. And he just didn't really care in Philly by the end. That's why he's no longer in Philly. That's why Harden's not in Philly anymore. So... But yeah, that was a tough situation to be in if you are Doc Rivers. Giannis is an intense player who wants to win and wants to be great. I honestly don't think he had that in Philadelphia. Joel Embiid was more concerned with being the league MVP than being the best team in the league. And as I said, James Harden, had other interests that he wanted to participate in than just playing basketball. And Harden wants wanted the ball a lot. I think Doc Rivers could be a good fit with Giannis Middleton and Damian Lillard. I think he can be a good fit. I think he brings a maturity. He brings a he brings knowledge He brings experience as both a long-time term long coach. And let's not forget, he also played in 864 games in this league. His name, if you go to Pfizer Forum, you look in the rafters in the Marquette side, his name is hanging up there. So if if players are having a hard time buying in for him, all he's got to say is, look, I've been there as a player. I played in the league. I've played at a high level in college and in the league. I've coached at a high level. Adrian Griffin couldn't command control of the locker room. He was unable to. First year head coach, been an assistant numerous places, and he wasn't and you know, playing wise. He didn't really have the the best career as a player either. So Interesting to see what happens with Doc Rivers taking over. I don't know if Doc Rivers will be sitting on the bench on Friday night tomorrow when the Bucks take on the Cavaliers again. Joe Prunty was the interim coach last night where they finally looked and played like a competent basketball team where they played with intensity for the majority of the game and you didn't see a lot of the lazy stuff you saw with Adrian Griffin. And that's what I hope to see with Doc Rivers as the head coach of the Bucks, and maybe Rivers gets to take get this reputation off his back that he can't win in the playoffs, because he did win in the playoffs at a pretty good clip early in his Boston career, winning an NBA championship in 07-08, and then missed the playoffs in 08-09, and then Eastern Conference champion in 2009-2010, he made the playoffs pretty much every year in Boston. He pretty much made the playoffs every year in Boston starting in 07-08 uh, and lasted until he lost in 2012-2013. In he had a 2-4 and four record in the playoffs, and the Celtics decided to change gear. He made the playoffs every year with the Clippers except 2017, 2018 where he went 42 and 40, missed the playoffs that year and he made the playoffs every year in Philly. So, I don't know if Doc's the right choice, but I think doc is definitely a better choice than what they had. So, this is Talking Sports with Evan as in case you just joined in the show now, you can find me on Twitter at Evan Wit Sports. You can watch the live stream live on YouTube, Talking Sports with Evan on Facebook, Talking Sports with Evan, or on Evan with Sports at Evan with Sports on Twitter. Moving on to Milwaukee Brewers before I jump to the Packers. The Milwaukee Brewers making headlines. And first of all, it's six years to the day where Christian Yelich was traded for. And if you if you want to get a good laugh, go to the Brewers uh, tweet announcing the Yelich trade and just read some of the comments. The comments are just hilarious. They also uh, signed Lorenzo Kane, That was a start of the Brewers getting to the NLCS and then losing to the Dodgers. But that started a run of success in Milwaukee. With the trade of Yelich and the signing of Lawrence Locane. Now, almost six years to the day, you know, a couple of days late, the Milwaukee Brewers have signed uh, first baseman, DH, left fielder, or whoever you want to play him, Rice Hoskins, to uh, play for the Milwaukee Brewers. And his 2024 projections, and I know they're projections for a reason, he's uh, projected at a 247 batting average with 13 home runs, 35 RBIs. I don't think that is accurate at all because you look at I know he's coming back from a torn ACL, but he's had his career high is 34 home runs with the Phillies in 2018. He had 30 home runs in 2022, the year before his torn ACL. He's had 27 home runs. He's had 29 home runs. His career batting average is 242, but he has, he gets on base. He has a good OPS plus. He drives and runs, and he is somebody that you definitely want in the heart of your order behind your guys like Yelich and Contreras and Adamez. He's definitely a guy you want on this team. He doesn't he doesn't strike out a ton considering and he gets on base as well. The other sign in the Brewers had is Christian Arroyo. Arroyo got signed to a minor league deal and he is a utility infielder. Well, he can play second. He can play third. He can play shortstop. He's done it all in the infield pretty much. He, uh, he doesn't hit for power, although I think his career high in home runs is six. I do think at American Family Field that number might come up a little bit. But his career high in home runs is six. He doesn't drive in a ton of runs, but he gets on base. And at this point, you want to get on base. His his best season in Boston was 2022, where he batted a 286, 322, 414, 736. Six uh, slash line with an OPS plus of one oh three. He had two hundred and eighty at bats that season, a career high, and six home runs, tied a career high, and thirty six RBIs. So again, he doesn't put up eye popping numbers in regards to driving and runs, but you you he's a utility guy that can play anywhere and he can give think Andrew Monasterio last year. Roman Esterio played all over. That's what he can do, and that's what he's bringing you, and I like what he has to bring you. It should be be, uh, some nice production in Milwaukee. He didn't have the best walk rate last year, only walked 3.4% of the time, struck out 21% of the time, hits home runs 1.5% of the time. His career average for home runs is... Uh, 3.2% of the time he hits a home run. So, again, not going to give you power, but he gives you versatility. With or without Craig Council, that is what the Brewers like. They like a guy that can play multiple positions, give you position versatility, and be steady in the field, and that's really what you're getting from him. Finally, Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers season, as I said to start the show, ended – in an all too familiar way with a playoff loss against the San Francisco 49ers 2013 or 2012 2013 2019 2022 and now 20 sorry yeah 2021 season 2022 playoff and now 2023 season it's all ended at the hands of the San Francisco 49ers now i've had a few days before i give my my analyst of the game. I've had a few days to really digest the game. It's the game the Packers should have won. The Packers were pretty much controlling the game for the most part for the majority of the game. And then the fourth quarter happened. The Packers had this season with their lack of experience and their age, a very small margin of error. They cannot make mistakes because they they don't, they don't have the maturity and they don't have the talent to really overcome mistakes. The Packers played this game when they got into the red zone, and that was the other thing, too. They couldn't score in the red zone, and that's what I talked about has been was one of the issues this season for Green Bay is they could move the ball down the field really without any problem, but when they got inside that 20, they they were struggling a little bit at times this season. And they had a hot, hot, very high success rate during their, their winning streak uh, that they had to go into the playoffs, but their Achilles heel is they couldn't score when it mattered. They had to settle for field goals or they get stopped on fourth down. You're not going to be a team like the 49ers resorting to just field goals. The 49ers are a very talented football team on both sides of the ball and they got very good talent at every level on both sides of the ball. McCaffrey should be the league MVP. Brock Purdy is a mature developing quarterback. The wide receivers even with Samuel leaving the game with injury. You still have Ayuk and Kittle and McCaffrey. You have a pretty solid offensive line led by a future Hall of Famer and Trent Williams. And your defense is led by guys that can get after the quarterback pretty much with ease with Bosa Young leading the charge. Two very good linebackers in in the middle there and a, a safety that can be a bit of a game tilter. So the Packers had a very small margin for error, and they made they made mistakes when they shouldn't have. You had an interception that was knocked, probably would have been intercepted either way, but Tucker Kraft knocked it in the air, and it fell into the hands of Greenlaw, and that was interception number one, right around midfield, had a chance to really close out the game right there. There was some protection issue after Zach Tom left the game with a concussion, Nijman did the best that he could, but ultimately Jordan Love, I think, lost some of his comfortability once Zach Tom was no longer in the game. And he started making throws he hadn't made in several weeks. The final play of the game, unfortunate as it was, I think it was just Jordan Love trying to force a play, trying to force something to happen shouldn't have done it. He even said himself he shouldn't have done it. It's the cardinal sin of quarterbacking. You don't throw late over the middle across your body. You just don't do it. And yeah, and then the missed field goal, of course, happened, and the Packers end up losing the game. I don't blame the kicker for the loss. I know some people do. He missed the field goal. He was not good for good stretches of the season, I think he missed some kind of kick in every game after a, a great start to the season. He had a, a missed kick, I think, in every game after the midway point, either extra point or field goal. But I don't blame the kicker. I don't blame Jordan Love. I don't blame the missed opportunities by letting interceptions fall through your hands. Those are all mistakes a young, inexperienced team makes. And it's hard to be angry. And no, I'm not talking about participation medals. It's hard to be angry. It it sucks. But it's hard to be angry with the loss at this particular time. Because when 2023 started, it was about finding out if Jordan Love is your future franchise quarterback. That is what 2023 was about. It wasn't about wins and losses. It was about showing improved play week in and week out. And The Packers had a very rough rough stretch there, falling to 2-5 and five on the year before they kind of flipped the switch and ended up at 9-8. and eight. But Jordan Love showed that he is the guy moving forward, some fine-tuning to still do, and he seems like a guy who – Really wants to improve his all around game, and I feel he's going to put the work in he needs to to take that next step as a quarterback. We saw the impact that a running back like Aaron Jones can have. Um, we've seen the uh, the impact a running back like Aaron Jones can have on this offense, and the reason I say a running back like Aaron Jones because. It's hard to say. I I hope Aaron Jones is back, but there's some salary cap implications that might make it more difficult. Plus, he has been dealing with a lot of injuries and is getting up there in age. Who knows, you know, running backs tend to fall off a cliff at moments notice with really no indication that they're getting to that point. So if you do bring Aaron Jones back, you got to bring in a similar I think a similar type running back to Aaron Jones that brings you what you get he gives you. And you saw that your young wide receiving core is very good. Now I think they can upgrade at uh out so there's three guys in the wide receiving core that I feel are your legit NFL proven wide receivers or four guys. Christian Watson, Jaden Reed, Wicks, and Romeo Dobbs. I think you could improve beyond those four. Not a necessity at this point, but I think you could improve there. And you got two pretty good tight ends. The the Packers are ahead of schedule. We we heard time and time again it's not a rebuild from Players in the locker room, aside from Bakhtiari, who said it it is pretty much a rebuild. But the Packers are ahead of schedule. They're ahead of schedule right now. And I'm going to get to A.J. Dillon in a second. I appreciate the comment, but I'm going to get to Dillon in a second. The Packers are ahead of schedule from where everybody thought they were going to be. So the San Francisco loss, even though we've seen that story over and over again, it's not as upsetting as it is in the past. And LaFleur commented after the game that this roster is probably going to look, gonna look uh, quite different next year. And I would be fine with A.J. Dillon. And I I love A.J. Dillon. I think he's a great locker room guy, great on the field guy. He knows what his role is. But... what. When I say they need another running back like Aaron Jones, I mean gives you the dynamic play out of the backfield that Jones gives you. Dylan does the best he can, but he's a north-south downhill runner. You still need that explosive playmaker like your Christian McCaffrey, like your Aaron Jones, to really make this offense tick. I know it's not easy to find that guy, but that's what you need in case Aaron Jones falls off that cliff or his injuries continue, because Dylan's going to run hard for you, he's going to give you what he can, he's going to block his you know what off for you, but he's not the explosive playmaker that Aaron Jones is. And like I said, I love Dylan. I would love him back in Green Bay. I I would say this is hey, this is if I'm if I'm the Packers front office, this is what I'm going to pay you. This is my contract offer. Go out. See if you can find somebody that's willing to pay you that or more. And if not, come on in. But Larkin's skills, so fatted. Appreciate your comments. Uh, Appreciate it. You are watching for a little bit. But that's kind of my thought on Dylan. He's limited on what he brings you as a playmaker. And we saw how the offense really took off. When Aaron Jones came back, the 48-32 win over the Cowboys, 33-10 win over the Vikings, the 33-30 win over the Panthers. We just saw what kind of what kind of playmaker Aaron Jones is and just how explosive the offense can get. Joe Barry's gone. And for those that look at it and try to point the finger at the defense, didn't really play that bad against San Francisco. But we've had three years of Joe Barry, and his script has been the same every time. Okay at the start, other than the Minnesota game last year. We have a stretch where things are god-awful. They can't stop anybody. Joe Barry's job is being questioned. Should he have the job? Should he have been hired to begin with? The answer is no. Then he goes through a stretch where the defense plays extremely well. We saw it last year, we saw it this year, we saw it the year before. There's always a stretch in the season where the defense plays well. And then, when you need the defense to make a stop when it matters most, two years uh, two years ago in the playoffs against San Francisco, they were able to march down and kick the game-winning field goal because the Packers couldn't make a stop when they had to. We saw it against Tampa Bay. They couldn't make a. I know that was Pettin, but they couldn't make a stop when they had to. Against the Detroit Lions last season, couldn't make a stop when they had to. And this year, against San Francisco, once again they couldn't make a stop when they had to. And in that situation, in the in the game-winning drive from San Francisco, the Packers are playing a very passive. Defense, don't let anybody behind you. Don't give up the big play. Letting a team march down the field and score in that situation, you should be playing aggressive, attacking basically, how I've been playing the entire game. And if you give up a big play and they score a touchdown, guess what? You have plenty of time on the clock. You allowed by not being able to make a big stop, and I know the 49ers make some big plays on that final drive but you allowed a good chunk of time to come off that clock before you punched in the game-winning touchdown. And that's the Joe Barry playbook. Play well for a stretch, play very bad for a stretch, and not make the stop when it matters most. And we've seen this playbook for three years. In reality, we've seen this playbook from the Packers for almost a decade now, where it's bend but don't break. And I'm going to... I'm going to touch on that right now. What, so Barry's no longer the defensive coordinator. What do I want to see from the new Packers defensive coordinator? I want to see a defense that's aggressive. I want to see a defense that sets the tone of the game early on by not literally within the rules of the game, by punching you in the mouth by attacking the line of scrimmage, by making the offensive line uncomfortable, by making the quarterback uncomfortable. Put an emphasis on at least slowing down the run game. Enough of this, bend but don't break. Every Packers game seemed to start with the the, the defense giving up a big chunk of yards. Yes, they sometimes hold them to a field goal, Sometimes they give up touchdowns, but they give up a lot of yards in the quote-unquote feeling-out phase. And I'm tired of the bend-but-don't-break defense. I'm tired of the let's not anything get behind us. Let's take a chance on defense. Let's be aggressive. Let's attack. That's what I want to see in the new Packer defense. And I don't care if it's the 3-4, if it's the 4-4, if it's the 4-3, if it's the nickel and dime or, or, or whatever, the... Uh, the scheme is it's on the field it's not about the scheme get the right person who's gonna run this defense with the person personnel that you have you have a a defensive end linebacker in Rashawn Gary that is about to become a premier pass rusher in this league you have Lucas Van Ness who has a ton of tools to be a very good player in this league. Kenny Clark is a very good defensive lineman. Preston Smith is a very solid piece to this defensive front seven. Quay Walker is a freak athlete. Now, Quay Walker has some things that he needs to work on. He has some. Uh, he's very inconsistent, and he has things he needs to work on. But I expect a big jump, especially if you get the, the higher right and the coaching staff right. I expect a nice year three jump from Clay Walker, especially if it's in a defense, it's more about attacking the line of scrimmage than by sitting back and waiting. I'm tired of the soft boxes. I'm tired of my middle linebackers having a guard or the center on top of them in the run game pretty much as soon as the ball is snapped because the defensive line is giving guys free passes to the line, to that second level, ultimately because you only have two damn D linemen on the field. And you usually have them wide. And again, you have Campbell, McDuffie, and Walker having to play against an offensive lineman consistently in the run game. Let's play an attacking style. The last truly good pack or defense they've had was the 2010 season. Cullen Jenkins was the leader of that defensive line. You had B.J. Raji, Kenny Pickett, Howard Green on that defensive line. Very good defensive line. You had Clay Matthews, all pro, should have been defensive player of the year that year. You had A.J. Hawk, Desmond Bishop, had a big coming out party that year. And then you had Zombo or whoever else on the other side. I think it was Frank Zombo that year. He ended up playing in Kansas City for a little bit, too. Then you had your Charles Woodson, your Sam Shields, your Tremont Williams, your Nick Collins, your Anthony Smith, your whoever else was playing safety that year. It was a defense that had an attitude and was not afraid to punch you in the mouth. Force make quarterbacks uncomfortable. Force quarterbacks and the bad throws. And that's what I want to see the Packers get back to. Ninety six defense led by Fritz Schirmer, Reggie White, Sean Jones, Gilbert Brown. Uh uh and on your defensive line. Bernardo Harris, George Coons. Uh they on a blank on the other linebacker. Crazy, crazy SOB. Wayne Simmons. You had a defense that played with an attitude and was not afraid to show it. Leroy Butler, Craig Newsom, uh, you know, and company. Those defenses played aggressive and set the tone early on in game, and they were trying to shut people down. Not, let's not give up the big play. Let's not... Um, if they're gonna score, they're gonna we're gonna make them earn it. They they're not gonna be able to dink and dunk their way through an eight to twelve play drive, or guess what? It always fails you, especially in key moments of the game, like the team needing the New York Giants game this season, the 49ers game. Teams drive the length of the field and they score pretty much at ease. So I want an aggressive defensive coordinator a defensive coordinator that's going to give up some big plays here and there. But I also am going to trust that it's going to be a defense that's going to be aggressive. And some names that are being thrown out there right now, Don Wink Martindale, former Giants defensive coordinator, him and Brian Darbo couldn't get along in New York. He kind of ran his course in in Baltimore, but he's a guy that's a blitz-happy uh, defense, the defensive-minded coach, um, other names being thrown around. Not even going to talk about the Carolina coach because he's not going anywhere. Jerry Gare, Gray, former uh, Packer coach, assistant head coach, defense for Atlanta last year. Ron Rivera, I don't care for him. And now here's where I like it. I, I would love a guy from the Baltimore Ravens coaching pedigree. Anthony Weaver, associate head coach, defensive line for the Ravens. He should be a candidate. 98 games started as a defensive lineman. He's been an assistant coach for a little while now. He's his third season running the Ravens defensive line, and we've seen how good the Ravens defensive line is. I would be okay with Weaver coming in to be the defense coordinator. Also from the Ravens. Chris Hewitt, passing game coordinator, secondary coach. He took over the Ravens secondary in 2015 through 2022. Ranked first in total defense, second in points, second on third down, sixth in opponent passer rating, and the Ravens uh, dominated. Um, Daniel Bullock, defensive backs coach in San Francisco. Again, a defense that you have to account for and worry about when you're game planning. They're aggressive. They're physical out in San Francisco. Chris Harris, passing game, a defensive passing game coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. He's a guy I would like. I know he was a finalist, maybe not a finalist, but I know he was somebody the Packers interviewed when Joe Barry got the job. Uh, he was interviewed for the 49ers coordinator job in 2023. And he's worked both in a 4-3 and a 3-4 scheme. And it's going to be about variation of different fronts that I want to see. And you're going to want to switch to the 3-4, 4-3, different fronts, different coverages. And I think that's what Hewitt would uh, I mean sorry, Harris and Hewitt would give you. Joe Cullen, defensive line coach for the Chiefs. The Chiefs are a defensive line that again. Is playing the style that I want to see implemented in Green Bay. Patrick Graham, quarter defense coordinator for the Raiders, his name's being thrown around. We'll see if he stays in place with Antonio Pierce, but that's an option. Uh, Jim Leonard's name's being thrown around. I don't know if I'm not really on the Jim Leonard bandwagon anymore. I wouldn't be mad if the Packers hired Jim Leonard but I'm not really jumping up and down wanting Jim Leonard at this point. Um, If he wanted to be in Green Bay, he would have been in Green Bay when Joe Barry got the job. There's no chance that Mike Vrabel gets the job now that most of the head coaching, I think all the head coaching jobs are pretty much filled. I think he takes a year off and I wouldn't want him to be my defense coordinator for, for one reason. You're getting him for one year because he is a very damn good head football coach and you're getting him for one year before he jumps to back into being a head coach more than likely, especially if the Packers' defense is really good. So those are some of the names being thrown around. Uh, there's a couple other names from the Baltimore Ravens coaching tree um, that I, I would be interested in as well. I know they don't have experience as being defensive coordinators, but as I mentioned, I would like people from that Raven tree uh, to be – The coordinator, other names to Chuck Smith. He's the outside linebackers coach for the Ravens. He's played in the league. And Zachary Orr is the inside linebackers coach for the Ravens. Uh, He played in the league as well. And Denard Wilson, he's the defensive backs coach for the Ravens. And again, I keep banging the uh, Baltimore Raven drum because they play a style of defense I enjoy watching. And that's what I want to see in Green Bay. We have too long been the "ben but do not break defense. And the Packers have a lot of free agents, some uh, exclusive rights free agents, some unrestricted free agents, some guys having void years. And my show next week on Tuesday, I'm going to do a show on Tuesday next week. And for that show, I am going to discuss which players who are not under contract in 2023 for the Green Bay Packers, which players I would bring back and which players I wouldn't. And my one spoiler alert, sorry to tell you, it's not going to be a very long list. So with that said, I appreciate you all for watching the show. The podcast version will be published uh, tomorrow morning, probably by 8 o'clock. You can check out Talking Sports with Evan every week here on Twitter, on YouTube. Talking Sports with Evan on YouTube. Talking Sports with Evan on Facebook and at Evan with Sports on X or Twitter. You can check it every week. Sometimes I'll have multiple shows a week. Sometimes just the one. Uh, make sure to check it out. Follow and subscribe on uh, on YouTube and the Facebook page and give me a follow on X or Twitter. And again, at Evan Witt Sports on X. Talking Sports with Evan on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe and follow and please share. And you can listen to the audio version anywhere podcasts are found. With that said, thank you so much for watching the show. I will get back at you next week. Until then. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the weekend, and I will talk at you later. Have a good rest of your night, everybody.